It's good to see you in God's house today. It's a privilege we enjoy. Amen. It's a privilege we enjoy. And so uh, I was reading this past week about the many stories of some of these refugees coming in and, you know, the persecution they faced when they, just because they were Christians, you know, and they come here and they're so, I mean, we're blessed to live in America, right? Amen. Let's not take the gathering together of, uh, of believers for granted. Amen. On, uh, on Wednesday nights, I've been uh, looking and we've been looking through the book of Daniel and uh, through the book and through his life as we find it through the book. And the underlying theme uh, that we find in this book is how uh, one of the underlying themes, I guess, is how Daniel and his friends, of course, were able to thrive, and we used, they were able to have success by beating all the odds that were stacked against them. I mean, they, they prospered against all odds. They prospered in a land that was foreign to them and hostile to them. They were basically, and uh, if you hear on Wednesdays, we were going through this, and just a brief uh, introduction, I guess, is, a background into this is Daniel and his three friends were basically teenagers when their whole lives were turned upside down. You know, their city has, uh, was conquered by the Babylonians and then this king who came in, King Nebuchadnezzar, takes these teenagers and, uh, and uh, some of the other nobles with him to a foreign land. And when they go there, they have no clue whether they're ever going to come back to this land again, their homeland. They have no clue whether they're going to see their families again. Or, you know, they have no clue whether they're going to ever, ever going to see Jerusalem again. And these teenagers, along with the others, are taken to Babylon. And there they're given new names. They're put in the king's, king's school or college or whatever you want to call it. And they're put into strict training. In order to, at the end of it, to ultimately serve the king, Nebuchadnezzar himself. And what you see happening is basically this, that the king is trying everything possible to erase, absolutely erase, the past and the lives of Daniel and his friends. Trying to, in fact, trying to reprogram to be proper Babylonians, if you want to call that, in his empire. But God had prepared Daniel and his uh, three friends. And I'd like you to turn uh, with me to Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to read a few verses there. Verses 17. And then we're going to go through Daniel chapter 6. And so Daniel chapter 1 verse It says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they entered the king's service in every, in verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. 
He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And then, of course, verse 21 says he stayed there for a long time serving things. Uh, just a side note, and I know I shared this on Wednesday night. Not everything that the Babylonians taught them was wrong. Okay, not everything was bad. In fact, the Babylonian Empire is, is known for uh, their best contribution is the 60-minute hour. They are the first one who came up with that, how they're 60 minutes in an hour, and they are the ones who came up with that, actually. I want to read the same verse from the New Living Translation. It says, God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the other magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. Here's the thing you see repeatedly in the book of, of Daniel, especially in the beginning, the first, and then, of course, the second part has to do with prophetic end times prophecies. The first part of the book, especially, you see that the one thing that jumps out at you is that these four men, young men and men, were unwilling to compromise their faith, their identity, and their integrity. Even when they faced Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in that world back then. Because in chapter 1, you see what happens. They, the king takes them there and he says, hey, you need to have all this good food that's coming for the ta- from the king's table as such. But that Daniel and his, fro- four, um, his three friends stand up. These four young men stand up to the king, basically king's orders. And he says, hey, we don't want all that. Just give us veggies and water, basically. In Daniel chapter 2, you see again that the king orders because he has his dream and he orders all these wise people to be killed. But in chapter 2, these people, Daniel says, hey, just hold up. And he goes before the king and says, hey, before you kill everybody else, give me some time. And so he stands up to the king's orders again. And then chapter 3, of course, the king gets this brilliant idea of making a big statue, which is 90 foot tall. And when all the music played, everybody was supposed to stop whatever they were doing and fall down bow down and worship this idol. This image of himself, basically. And you see that when the music plays, everybody bows down and starts worshiping this image of the king except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you see, once again, these young men standing up to the most powerful man on earth. And again, you see the same story repeated in chapter 6. Chapter 6 Again, this is another king orders, uh, you know, everybody worship me. And then, of course, Daniel says, no, I don't do that. And he does his own thing. And then he's thrown into the lion's den in chapter 6. And we'll talk about that briefly. But here's what I want you to remember. That God will give you, give us success when we take a stand for him in the world around us. He will do that. And the success is not just for in the church, it's for all to see. I mean, we, we have to be 
we still have to be faithful. We still have to be hardworking and everything else. Daniel just didn't sit there and all the wisdom. He still studied hard and put, applied himself, right? But realize that when you stand, God will, there will be a day where God will recognize you in front of the whole world. And, you know, think out of all the wise men, all, and I don't know how many, I'm assuming there were probably thousands of them, and these magicians and everything else. God elevated this teenager, essentially, and his three friends to a point where they become the personal advisors of the most powerful man on earth back then. And believe me when I say this, because I know some of us are not sure that whether God promises us success. He does promise us success in his word. It just might not be the way we think success is. But I believe it's in, it's in God's heart and in his nature to elevate people who faithfully serve him to positions, whether it be in not just in the church, but in the government and the workplaces, wherever. I really believe it's part of God's heart to elevate faithfulness, reward faithfulness. And, and just knowing the climate we're living in right now, it, holding on to Christian, a Christian worldview is, is coming under so much attack right now. Like it or not, it just, you know, especially think about it in colleges and uh, schools and everything else. These people are just bombarded with stuff that is so not what the Bible says, basically. Amen. And it's become more hostile. And we, you know this already. You know, it, you, you voice a Christian belief and, of course, you get branded as something. Ignorant, old-fashioned, whatever. Choice words. But the truth is we cannot back down. We cannot back down. We don't do this with arrogance and with a chip on our shoulder. We do this with humility because of one reason alone. We are unwilling to compromise what God says in his word. Amen. That's it. Amen. And so I encourage you. As I title my sermon, how to take a stand in today's or taking a stand in today's secular, secular world. Again, please, we don't. You know my heart in this too. We don't hold those signs and tell everybody that they're going to hell. And that's not the way to win people over. You just live like Christ and that itself is a testimony. Amen. So how do you make it in today's increasingly secular and if I can say hostile world? Because it's the same thing with Daniel in a foreign land. Number one, decide in advance to stand for God. Decide in advance to take a stand for God. The world will test and challenge what you believe. And also why you're, you believe what you believe. But you have to be convinced about what you believe. If you're going to take a stand. Whether it be at school, at work, among your friends. Please realize your faith and your beliefs will always be tested. But you have to determine in your heart ahead of time that you are going to take a stand for the truth. Again, it's not about being a religious snob or just being arrogant. But you have to determine in your heart that you will stand for Christ. I mean, as a parent, I, I realized that I got to prepare my kids for this, but 
even as adults, I realize that we need to be prepared because our faith is always going to be challenged. The Bible tells us they will always challenge our faith. Our faith will be challenged. And what you notice is normally when faith is challenged, three things happen. One, people just quit on the faith and walk away. You know, they don't want anything to do with church. They don't want anything to do with faith. They don't want anything to do with prayer. But because their faith is challenged, what they believe is challenged, and they don't have an answer, and so they quit. The other way people react when their faith and their belief systems are challenged is they, they just withdraw because they don't want to deal with any of the stuff. So they just curl up in a ball and like, whatever happens outside, I don't care. And they just stay in there. There is a third option that's to stand up for the faith. Take a stand. When it really matters. And that's exactly what Daniel and his three friends did. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. It says Daniel made up his mind. Daniel, the NIV says Daniel resolved in his heart not to defile. Resolved. You have to make up your mind and you've got to want to do it beforehand than when you are in the test. You've got to determine in your heart ahead of time. Because God doesn't want us to just survive in this world. He wants us to succeed and to thrive in this world too. Daniel had, and the truth is this, Daniel had his clear boundaries. You know, I'm not going to eat any of this meat and the other stuff from the king's table. He already decided that. And then when it happens, he says, hey, I'm not going to defile myself with this stuff. Same way, we've got to determine in our hearts where your boundary is. Because the world is gone to constantly cause you to push and stretch that line. But you've got to decide according to God's word, this is the line. I'm not going to go beyond that. Your friends around you and peer pressure, everything else will try and push that line further and further away. But you've got to decide where that line is ahead of time before the test comes. So if you want to take a stand, you've got to determine in your heart. Where you got to determine in your heart ahead of time. Because it's easy to say everybody's doing it, you know. Because think about it. Daniel, he wasn't, those four people weren't the only Jews taken into captivity as such. Right? There were a lot of other people from Israel and Jerusalem taken there. And they ate whatever they ate. Now they could have easily said, hey, the rest of them are doing it. Nothing's happening to them. Why? I mean, we can do it too. But determine in your heart ahead of time. And of course, we know the verse in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, what? Set apart Christ as Lord, first of all. And then always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And then how do you do this? With gentleness and respect. That's it. Gentleness and respect. Decide in advance. Number two, to stand in the secular world, you got to be firmly rooted in God's word. You've got to be firmly rooted in God's word. Because there will be storms in life and there will be these things that people and the world and everything else throw at you. And if you are not firmly rooted in God and in God's word, you will be blown away or get carried away in that whatever way of the thinking is. I mean, you, a country that's founded so much on a Judeo and a Christian background. They challenge that all the time. We have to stand strong in God's word if you're going to make it. If your roots are shallow, guess what happens? You will be blown away. I mean, we, we uh, going in Washington, one of the things, they had a big storm go through. 
And all these trees, you don't realize these tall trees don't have very deep roots, actually. Some of these evergreens. And when the wind goes through, you just see the path of destruction and all these trees are just blown over sometimes. That's the best example of God and being rooted in God's word. You be rooted in God's word, firmly rooted in God's word helps you withstand, withstand the storms in life, withstands the challenges that people throw in your life or throw at you. I was telling a friend and actually he was telling me this too. There are a lot of Christian tumbleweed but not enough Christian trees. Because we get blown away. A lot of Christians just get blown. Have you seen tumbleweed? I thought it was the most fascinating thing when I came. Not the most. One of the things that we're driving. First time we were driving. And all of a sudden, like, what in the world is that? I thought it was an animal. And Heather said, oh, that's just tumbleweed. I don't know. It doesn't happen up north. It's just down here. But that's exactly what happens to weeds. Weeds cannot withstand the sun. They shrivel up and they die, basically. Or they just get blown over. But trees are dug in deep because they're finding the source. They're connected to the source, which is God himself for us. And they're able to withstand uh, what's going on. Joshua 1 verse 8, it says, keep this book. I'm reading from New Living. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will prosper and be successful. Read it, memorize it, meditate on it, and of course do it if you want to prosper and you want to succeed in life. There is, you know this, there is no substitute to time spent with God. There really is no substitute to time spent with God in His Word, in prayer, in worship, in fellowship as such. Dig deep into God's Word. And I always, there's an example I learned as a kid, you know, it's like a sponge. You know, throw it into water and you take it out and leave it out there. But when you squeeze it, guess what's going to come out? Water. Same thing. If we soak and saturate our lives in God, when life's pressure gets to us, guess what? We're not going to just shrivel up and die. What comes out is God's word. We will stand the test. Number three, and this is really important. Choose believers as your best friends. We've talked about this probably, but choose believers as best friends because the reason I think, the main reason Daniel made it through whatever he was going through is because he had three young men with him who were with him. You can call this the band of brothers if you want to, I don't know, who were willing to go through the situations that they were going through together. Choose Christian, and I mean real Christians. To be your best friends because this is really important. I mean, God wants us to have non-Christian friends. Please, don't ever think, yes, I mean, I know we go the other extreme and just isolate ourselves. But that's not God's intention at all. God wants us to have non-believing friends. But the truth is this. Who is influencing who at the end of the day? Who is going to influence who? God wants us to love everybody. God wants us to show kindness to everybody. God wants us to help those who need. And God wants us to have unbelieving friends because otherwise we'd never preach the good news at all. Who would we preach to? Each other? No. We preach it to people who don't know the Lord as such. But your close circle needs to be Christians who have the same worldview as you do. 
Because think about it, and this is a side note. Is it easier to pull someone down or pull them up? It's always easier to pull someone down rather than to pull someone up. So you've got to decide your friend circle. Are they going to pull you up or going to pull you down? Make sure your close friends are people who believe what you believe. I mean, again, we really need to be wise to this because, you know, even among Christian circles, if you have someone who's depressed all the time and has always worries me, they drain you rather than anything else. You know, you need to go find some other friends or something. No, don't quit on them. But just be careful that you are the one doing the lifting rather than they pulling you down. That's the way we make it. Bad company. The Bible says what? Bad company corrupts what? Good character, basically. I mean, that's just true. I mean, you can tell this has nothing to do with, I mean, just common sense. You can tell where a person's going to be in five years by the company he keeps. That's it. You can tell easily where that person's going to be in five to ten years by the people he hangs out with so much. Just, be, just remember, choose believers, Christians who have the same worldview as your best friends. Just, I guess the word is this. Be careful who your influences are in your life. Who your influencers are in your life. Number four, you got to stay connected. If you want to make it in this world, got to stay connected to church and small group and even get involved in a ministry. That's how we will make it. Because all three of them are essential. Church, a smaller group, and ministry. You need input. You need output. But you also need support. You're going to need support. Sometime or the other, you're going to face a problem that is bigger than you. And that's when you need the church or you need your small group to come alongside you and lift you up. You try and make it on your own. You're not going to make it too far. I mean, I know people and you probably know people too. They, you know, they stop going to church. They stop going to small group. They stop being involved in ministry. And slowly but surely, the devil just picks them off. We all know examples of that time and time again. But Hebrews says what? Don't give up what? The gathering together. A meeting together. Don't give that up. Just, you know, just because you can watch a sermon, a hundred sermons online, I can tell you, I mean, that's great. But there are so many other things you learn by being in a physical fellowship with others that you will never learn by watching something online. So I encourage you, don't quit on fellowship. If you want to stand up, you need to stay connected. Stay connected to church, a small group. Again, the whole idea, we push in small groups again. If you are not connected to a small group, please come and talk to me. Because the small groups, we can't, as a church grows, we can't all connect with each other well. That's the whole idea of small groups, so that we can stand by each other together in smaller groups too. And so I encourage you to do that. We meet in small groups every second Sunday evening and the fourth Sunday evening. Uh, here's the truth. I, I met a person just recently who says, I go to church once a month and I'm just fine. Now, I can't convince him anyway because he's already made up his mind that he's okay. But let me just tell you this. When life hits you and hits you hard, your online church isn't going to help you as much as physical people who will stand with you. Amen. So gather. Don't forget the gathering. And be involved in a ministry because somehow when you give, you also get. 
Somehow when you give, you also get. I remember talking to Brother Sylvester just the other day. And he was talking about, you know, when he prepares to teach, he gets so much more out of the lesson even while he's preparing. And same thing with me. As I prepare to preach, sometimes God ministers to me more than when I'm preaching. And I hope he ministers to you too. When we get involved in the ministry, yes, it keeps us connected. But it also allows us to grow ourselves. The key word again here is meaningful fellowship. Meaningful fellowship. When you are involved in a ministry, you're partnering with someone else. And as you, as you serve together, you grow together, basically. Anyway, so how do you take a stand now? Why? And I want to quickly go through these. What are the benefits of taking a stand for Christ? Number one, when you take and you decide to take a stand for Christ, number one, it gives you victory or gives me victory over fear. It gives me victory over fear every time I take a stand for God, whether it be at work, and among my family, my friends, or whatever, in my community. It gives me victory over fear. Now here's the thing, and we talked about this last week for quite a bit too. Fear is a feeling, but most of the time it doesn't last for a long time. You know, you, you have these particular feelings at that moment and you get fearful, but very often that thing passes and you do it anyway, right? I mean, you, again, when we were on holiday this time for that wedding in Washington, we went up and one day uh, we went hiking with the snow and everything. And we were not dressed properly. I was wearing my tennis shoes in snow. It was not smart. But we went hiking for a while, but Aiden has never really been in snow. And he cried, whined, hollered like it was the end of the world. He did not want to. I mean, I'm used to, have you seen a baby when you put them down in the snow and they just, I mean, put them down and they just curl their legs up? I imagine Aiden basically doing that. Wasn't going to move one step. But that within 15 minutes, he's jumping around doing everything wanting to. Sometimes fear is as unrealistic as that. I think most of the time, the fear, what we fear, is not worth the amount of stress we go through in our lives. I mean, you know stories, you've been through, you've had this experience where you, you're so worried and stressed out and fearful about something and then you do it and then you're like, why was I scared in the first place? And then you tell other people about your experience, they're like, hey, it was no big deal at all. And so, no, I'm not, I'm not saying there are some legitimate fears as such. But here's the point, if you give into your fear, you won't grow. What you got to do is battle your fear by taking a stand, making up your mind and doing something. That's how you, you basically take a stand. It benefits you because it gives you victory over fear. Every time you take a stand for God, it gives you victory. And uh, please understand, how many of you were scared to walk into your house this past week? How much courage did you need to walk into your house? Now, if your house was on fire, it would take a lot more courage to get in there. Why? Because there's fear involved, right? So courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is actually taking fear, grabbing it by, or punching it in the face, basically. And when we take a stand for God, that's exactly what we're doing. It, we are conquering or overcoming fear with the courage because we're taking a stand for God. Number two, taking the second benefit is, of course, it builds my, it strengthens my faith and builds my character. When I take a stand for God, it strengthens my faith and builds my character. Someone said faith and character are like muscles, and it's true. Muscles develop only when you 
exercise, you, there is some stress, there's some strain. That's the whole point of weight training, right? Your muscles don't grow. I mean, you're not going to grow strong by eating donuts and watching your favorite TV show on, on, or, or stay on Facebook or whatever you're on. You got to be pushed. You gotta, there has to be a stress. There has to be a strain. There's got to be some kind of thing that makes it builds your muscle. It's the same thing with faith and character. If we want to take a stand for God, when we take a stand for God, it's that test that comes along that builds our faith, builds our character. Don't just assume that life is just going to happen without God or something, not God testing you, but without a test coming up. But that test builds your character. When you take a stand for God, it builds your faith, it builds your character. I mean, it's the same, like I said, in the spiritual realm, when you stand up for God and stand up for the truth, it builds your faith up from the inside out. Builds your character up from the inside out. Every time you hit or do something, you know, that's the right thing. You do something in faith. You grow your character. Number three, the third benefit is this. When you stand for God, this is what I love. It opens the door for a miracle in my life. When you take a stand for God, it opens a door or opens the door for God to work in a miraculous way in my life. And the sad truth is there are a lot of Christians who go to church every, every Sunday who have never really experienced a true miracle in their lives. Yes, maybe, yes, salvation itself is a miracle. Yes, everything else. But they really don't believe in that because they believe, hey, you know what? That's all gone with the Old Testament, I mean, with the apostles and everything else. But the truth is, they don't experience a miracle because they don't put themselves out there on a limb, basically, to experience that miracle. If you are afraid to take a stand for God, you will never see the way God can and will work out in your life, Amen. work things out in your life. Someone said, never be afraid to rock the boat if Christ is your captain. I thought it was cool. We know this all already. You'll never see a miracle unless you step out of that boat. And then the walking on the water happens. That's a miracle. But too many Christians are so satisfied staying in the boat and not willing to take a stand for God. And they never see God work in a miraculous, miraculous way. If you live life, a life of safety and play it safe all the time, you probably won't see God work in a miraculous way in your life. And we talked about this last week. Don't, uh, and I say this in humility, you really can't expect God to work a miracle in your life. You're just going to sit on your couch and do nothing at all. So that woman had to take a step of faith and walk there, walk through the crowd and touch Jesus, and then she saw the miracle. One pastor said, you never know that God, you never know that God can solve your problems if you never have a problem. You never know that God can do a miracle in your life if you are not willing to risk something. Okay, God, I'm willing to do what's not popular and may even get me cut off from my friends and everything else. But I'm going to do it anyway because you've told me to do it from your word. And then see how God works in your life. And of course, that's what it is in Daniel chapter 6. And I just want, don't want to go through the whole chapter. But chapter 6, this king decides to make, you know, everybody's going to worship me again. I don't know why kings always do that. So this is another king saying, everybody needs to worship me. Otherwise, guess what's going to happen? If you don't worship, you're going to be thrown into this pit with lions in there. 
And of course, they all do this to trick Daniel. And of course, Daniel doesn't compromise. He still goes, he doesn't try and hide his faith for a little while. Okay, let this pass away. I'll just stay quietly here. The Bible says he goes there and does what he always did before. Opens those windows up for everybody to do it. And then when he does that, of course, what happens? He's thrown into, he's thrown into the lion's den. But the king himself can't sleep the whole night because the king realizes this is the guy I trust most in the kingdom, but my ego has got this guy thrown into a pit. And of course, verse, six, verse 19, it says, At first dawn, the king got up and hurried to the pit, hurried to the pit, filled with lions. When he got there, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? You see, he's worried even while asking. And then Daniel answers, O king, my God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lion, and they have not hurt me at all, because God knew I've done nothing against him or you, O king. Of course, the king is overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the pit. The king was overjoyed and gives orders to lift Daniel out of the pit. And when Daniel was lifted out, there was not a single scratch on his body because he trusted God. Now that's a miracle, friends. But if he didn't take a stand for God, if he wasn't willing to take a stand and do the things that he already knew he had to do, that God had told him to do, he would have never seen that miracle. You'd never see that miracle if you don't take a stand for what God tells you to do. Even if it's unpopular, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Number four, fourth benefit, and I'm finishing up real quick. Fourth benefit of taking a stand for God. It challenges or encourages other believers to stand up with you. It challenges other believers to take a stand for you when you stand up for God, whether at work or, your, uh, or your f- among your families or whatever. It encourages other believers. They see your courage. They see your faith. And of course, we know cur- courage is contagious as such. Faith is contagious. And when you take a stand, they will stand with you. They will stand beside you when you step out in faith for God. Or step out and stand, take a stand for God. And you say, God, I'm going to do this because you tell me to do this. You know what? There will be other people who will come alongside you and stand with you. I always think of Gideon. Gideon, if you know the story of Gideon, he goes out in the night and destroys all these idols. And everybody's mad with him. But then when everybody's mad with him, his dad comes and stands beside him and says, hey, if these gods are really popular, they can defend themselves. You see that time and time again, when you take a stand, sometimes people are waiting for you to take a stand to stand beside you. Courage and faith is contagious, but you got to stand up first. Don't wait for the other person to stand before you stand. I think of Elijah. He's so, Lord, I'm the only prophet left, right? I'm the only one left. But God's got to remind him, hey, there are so many others who've been faithful just like you. You take a stand and God will bring people to stand alongside you. God is just waiting for us to take that stand. I love this verse in Philippians 1 uh, and verse 14. Uh, it says, uh, Philippians 1:14. it says, And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. 
the other translation says, because of what I've been through, many Christians here have gained confidence and become more bold in telling others about Christ. Your boldness will encourage others. Your boldness, your courage, your stand will encourage others to take a stand too. That's the benefit. And of course, you're not just taking a stand. It challenges believers, but it's also a great testimony to unbelievers too. It's a testimony to unbelievers. And I I honestly think when you take a stand like this, when you take a stand and how you handle pain are the greatest. These two things are the greatest testimony you'll ever have to unbelievers. How you handle pain and how you stand for the truth will be a testimony to your friends, neighbors, whoever, people, co-workers. It's a powerful example when you say, sorry, I can't do this because my conscience won't allow me to do this because I cannot violate God's word. It's a powerful testimony when people, everybody's doing it, but I can't because, you know, this is what God says and I can't go against that. Love the example in Acts uh, chapter 4. If you want to turn there, it's a great verse that... uh, that's there. Acts chapter 4, it's about Peter and John, and they've been preaching and doing all these miracles. Okay, and they're doing all this, and of course the religious leaders are starting to get mad at them, and so they arrest them and take them uh, before the council, basically on, put them on trial as such. They put them on trial, and, and of course Peter, and they're asking them questions about in whose name are you doing all this stuff. And of course, you read verse uh, 11, it says, Jesus is verse 4 verse 11 it says Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone of course here's his proclamation here is stand salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved that's the stand they took and then verse 13 when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus they took a stand and unbelieving people said hey they took note that these people were with Jesus I really can't think of a finer thing that can be said about you if you want to say when people around you say you know she's just a normal person or he's just a normal person but I don't know where they get this boldness because I certainly wouldn't have had this kind of boldness they're obviously hanging out with Jesus and people recognize that the way you live your life the stand you take and then they say the conclusion is it's obvious that they've been hanging out with Jesus I think that's a great compliment The more time you spend with Jesus, the more courageous you'll become anyway. So it's a testimony to others. And lastly, staying, and this is just to conclude. When you take a stand for Christ, when you take a stand for the truth, you take a stand for faith, the word in a secular word, please remember God will reward you. God will reward you. I believe God rewards us here and now but I also believe that if we don't receive that earthly reward there's going to be an eternal reward for sure 
When we take a stand for God, God will reward. Standing strong for God will be rewarded. God has promised us. Jesus has promised it repeatedly, time and time again. He talks about the reward you will receive in eternity. He talks about this. Every time you are, you know, uh, challenged with, uh, for your faith or you're criticized or you're insulted or you're, you're shunned or made fun of. Just because you stood for the truth. Realize what God says and the Bible says you will be rewarded for that. You will be rewarded for that. Daniel and his friends took a stand. And they were rewarded and see what the reward. They were, God empowered them. You know they didn't want to do that stuff. They stood up. And see what it says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds. Daniel could understand dreams and visions. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And then in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than the rest of those guys. That's the reward for taking a stand for God. And even if you don't have, and I believe God rewards us here and now, but even if he doesn't, there is a greater reward we will receive in eternity. There is a reward we will receive in eternity. Now in the eyes of the world, you look at, read a story like Daniel and you can just say, oh, you trained so hard and you interviewed well with this king, you know. And that's why you got this job. God had nothing to do with it. Honestly, if it wasn't for God working behind the scene, they wouldn't get to where they finally got to. God rewarded Daniel and his friends because they took a stand for him. Daniel prayed in chapter 6, even when he knew the God that king said don't pray to anyone else we willing to take a stand like that are we too embarrassed to pray in public sometimes just over a meal can we bow our heads and pray so what if people say whatever you know the weird people out there praying for their food pray for their people's food too actually i don't know just be willing to take a stand for god stand and see how he will come through for you he will come through for you Bow your heads with me at this time. Please realize that we, you, me, every one of us, our faith will always be challenged. People will challenge us to why we believe what we believe. That's just the world we live in right now. People will challenge us. But we've got to determine in our heart, like Daniel did, right in the beginning, before it all started, in advance, I will take a stand on God. I will take a stand for God. They made up their minds. We will serve no other God beside Yahweh as such. Even though there's a fiery furnace, even though there's a lion, whatever, in these pits out there. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, He says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say 
all kinds of evil against you because of me and then he says rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven again it's not about being loud and obnoxious about this at all it's not i'm not saying that at all but when it matters i pray that you will stand not compromise the truth of what god's word says they stood they stood up for their faith they stood up for god god rewarded them god blessed them god prospered them church the bible says god is no man's debtor you take a stand for him he will reward you stand with me this morning as we worship you